You are listening to, believe it or not, the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is a series four, episode seven for Friday, August 25th, 2023. And can recognize my dulcet tones. It's JJ Seton here, returning after a very long absence uh, with my good friend and co-blogger CBD. Hopefully people recognize our voice. It's good to be back in the blue room, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the Blue Room. Um, so we've been having some uh, technical difficulties and combined with some time off for the both of us uh, has conspired to keep us from our huge audience. But uh, hopefully that we're going to work that out. And in fact, we are probably going, well, if this works out, we're going to increase the frequency of the podcasts. So you're going to be either get the benefit or the plague of our voices more than once every uh, eight or 10 days. <laughs> Absolutely. And this guy, this is been like what like four weeks my god it's crazy the absence is uh, it's been killing me i wanted to so many things have been happening like literally rapid fire and we've been champing at the bit to uh, grace you with our with our wonderful insights into this but of course the big news that broke yesterday which is both weirdly non-surprising yet still absolutely horrifying in in the extreme was the indictment against uh handed down against donald trump and uh not the indictment but the fact that he surrendered to the indictment to this Fannie willis character in in fulton county along with 19 other co-conspirators in what absolutely resembles a, a either a nazi or a stalinist show trial based on charges that are basically they're being charged for for the goal of uh, thinking that the first amendment applies to them uh, in challenging the the 2020 election, regardless of what you think about the challenge, but I mean, it's just it's it's absolutely outrageous what what's going on here, and the the fact that people are cheering this is such a horrifying indicator of the state of this nation. You know, it's very interesting because the the charges against Trump are you know a massive emotional blather. I'm sure there are uh, commentators on the on the right side of the spectrum who will find some substantive charge. But the reality, of, of course, is that it is Stalinist, that this is a pure political persecution, not prosecution. And the idea that a some pissant state official can drag the former president of the United States in for a booking is obscene, um, especially for these charges. And the charges really boil down to Donald Trump was very upset by the results of the election and felt that there were irregularities in that election, and he spoke vociferously about it and wanted to do something about it. Regardless of whether that is true, and I happen to believe that it is true, that is his right as an American, as a free American, as a man who country used to be governed by the United States Constitution. Unfortunately, they have demonstrated that it isn't. And I think this illuminates the huge divide in the United States right now. Half the country thinks this is great, maybe 40% of it thinks this is great. And 60% thinks it's disgusting. But the problem is that the people who think it's disgusting really aren't doing much about it. And I wrote on Ace of Spades a couple of days ago about this. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to suggest violent action. But the idea of working through the process, working through the system, using the rule of law to combat this kind of obvious overreach on the part of many, many, many prosecutors in the United States is problematic. I don't know how that will work. And unfortunately, if it doesn't work, then we are left with two options. One option is to accept it 
and and devolve completely into a Stalinist bureaucratic dictatorship, uh, and the other is to fight. And the question is, how is that fight going to to play out? Right, a number of points to CBD that you that you raise that need to be responded to. And, and underscored is the fact that you talk about using the rule of law to, to combat this. And, and the thing is, it's like, as people have said, that it's not that the system is corrupt, it's that corruption is the system. How can you possibly trust a Department of Justice or any sort of uh, lawyers at any level or prosecutors or judges or juries or whatever to redress a system, a corruption that they are absolutely a part of? And part and parcel of so that so there's there's that problem. Uh, the other thing is with this Fanny Willis character, she didn't do this on her own. It's, it seems as if this was done, and it's been it's it, I think it's come out that this was done pretty much at the behest of of whoever Biden's handlers were, and that just speaks volumes of what of what's going on. I mean, because I think there was a you know a total foul up when she she announced the indictment before even the grand jury came down with the with the result. I mean, if that isn't banana republic bullshit, then then I mean I, I just don't know what is. We are really fast reaching a point where there is not much, you know, we're going to be backed into a corner here. And as I wrote this morning, I don't know that the American people in our will or in our nature to really go full bore and resist this thing. I, I mentioned uh, Dan Bongino yesterday was was sort of laying the marker down that he, he told Trump or he suggested to Trump, forget it, just ignore the thing and don't submit to this and let them come and get you and, and then just, you know, see, see what happens from there. And, and I think maybe he has a point in that. You know, regardless of what you think, and then we can talk about elections and we can talk about primaries, which no doubt I think we will talk about. But I mean, what's the point of elections and primaries if, number one, they're going to rig this thing or theoretically they have the ability to rig it one more time? And number two, it's like, you know, you beat your head against the wall and trying to figure out how do we get ourselves out of this situation? You know, I I actually liked Bongino's idea. I think it's certainly would focus attention on the the craziness of, of these charges. The problem is that Bongino actually bought into part of the idea that we still have the rule of law, and that is simply surrender, yeah. don't post the bond, and then he'll be arrested, and then the Secret Service will shut the jail down, and blah, 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 blah. But the thing is that for Bongino's idea to work, Donald Trump should have said, screw you, you can come arrest me in Florida, or, or wherever the hell I am, but I am not surrendering. Then we'll see what happens. Now, obviously, the state of Georgia can have the state of Florida arrest Donald Trump, and to transport him to Georgia for the arraignment. The question at that point is, would Ron DeSantis do that? And I think it'd be very, very interesting. As Bongino pointed out in his article, you know, I'm not the one going to jail. So it's easy for for all of us to suggest these hypotheticals. But I think it was a good idea. He just didn't go far enough. Donald Mm -hmm. Trump conceivably could have fomented, not fomented, but uh, created a constitutional crisis uh, with this, and it would have been very interesting. And you bring up yes, the salient point, of course, of your man and potentially my man. I'm still on the fence of, of what's going on here. Thinking not so much that I don't like Ron DeSantis, it's that I don't think that elections really are are relevant anymore. It would be very interesting if Ron DeSantis literally would back Donald Trump, the political prisoner, as opposed to Donald Trump, the opponent and the candidate. And unfortunately, Donald Trump doesn't do himself any favors at all when he keeps harping on uh, you know, as Ron DeSanctimonious and it drives you freaking crazy. At some point, people have to bury the hatchet here and say, screw it. We're in a, in a state of we're in a crisis. I want to call it a constitutional crisis or whatever, but a crisis of, of the nation. And we can't 
this cannot go on. We have to, this, something has to be done, but we're, we're floating in some sort of a limbo state where some people think it's business as usual. And even to a certain extent, I think Donald Trump thinks it's, it's, it's hard for pa. You know, I, oh, that, I can't that, imagine. Him no, no, no. I think that that's a very, very important point. And bingo, that's it. Donald Trump thinks that he can just be Donald Trump and he will eventually win because the rules haven't radically changed. But the fact is that you are 100 percent correct. The rules have radically changed. And the, the problem is, of course, that the focus of this of the 2024 campaign in 2023, which is sort of odd, is on Donald Trump's legal difficulties and every other problem in the United States. And we have many many of which are existential, but they are subsumed in the Donald Trump show. And I understand why he's doing it. He has an ego that is unbelievable. And part of him, I'm sure, enjoys the spotlight. But it is deflecting attention away from the significant problems that I mean, obviously, his arrest and and these, you know, the various uh, legal machinations that the progressive left is going through to to get him into jail are part of the issues that are destroying the United States. But I think that they are more fundamental than just Donald Trump. It is maddening that, I mean, I think it was Rumsfeld who said, you don't fight the army with, uh, you know, the army that you wish you had. You fight the army with, the, with, with what you've got. And unfortunately, for better or for worse, you know, Donald Trump is the, is the head of a movement. And unfortunately, also, he's the he's the front runner candidate or, or whatever. I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on. It's It's absolutely... And again, as I said, he doesn't I don't think he recognizes what's going on. You know, when he was with the Tucker Carlson, uh, the interview the other night. Oh, I'm sorry. Interview or tongue bath? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Was that an interview or tongue bath? It was kind of a tongue bath. Absolutely. And I I said that it was a very disappointing thing. Even Tucker brings up the brings up the point. Like, aren't you afraid of getting assassinated? And and Trump just sort of danced around the issue. And I'm saying, dear God, man, if you're going to take the mantle of this leader or this whatever, Stop thinking that it's just it's just hardball politics that's a little more hardball than usual and state the fact that this nation is coming apart at the seams and this is a target on my face or my back or in my heart or my chest, whatever. And the fact is, as he once so aptly said, they're not after me, they're after you. He's just in the way. Let me tell you something, Mr. Trump, if they get you and they're going to get you, the next step is us and they're already coming after us. So, I mean, dear God, I mean, I. You of all people should should literally just call a spade a spade and let's 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 do this. And I'm even at the point where I'm I'm with you, CBD. I think Donald Trump should withdraw from the race. I think the most incredible move he can do right now is to withdraw his candidacy, declare exactly what we're declaring here that the nation is in crisis, the election is going to be stolen regardless of who the uh, the candidate nominee is going to be, DeSantis, whoever probably I guess would be the next guy of this Vivek, who knows what. But be that as it may, and say we have to start a movement, we have to do some sort of passive resistance and let Atlas shoulders shrug so that we can we can start afresh or, or do something that turns this thing around and stops this madness. I think that would be the best thing for this country. And I, it just came to me and I just realized that because I'm just tired of it. I said, Mr. Trump, God bless you. I support you to the hilt and what you've done, but you will better serve the country if you step down right now and just do exactly what we're or, or close to what we're, we're advising you to do instead of just you know throwing names around and and, and acting as if you know you're going to beat these people and you're going to win, you're going to be tired of winning because let me tell you something they're they're gunning for you, sir, and uh, this is not this is not a good thing. 
I agree completely. And I've been talking about this ever since the 2020 election. I think uh, that Donald Trump is irreparably damaged. And I think that the idea that he's going to win the presidential election in 2024 is ridiculous. Uh, I think he's going to lose. And I think that, uh, by the way, I think it's also too late for him to withdraw. He should never have declared in the first place. I think that he could have been the philosophical underpinning of a re-energized conservative movement in the United States and perhaps even a re-energized real Republican Party in the United States. He could have come out and, you know, endorsed uh, DeSantis or uh, it doesn't really matter who he would endorse and then campaign for him for the next two years. And that would have been an incredible, incredible thing. And I think that the combination of let's use DeSantis as uh, he is uh, the the number two guy right now. But the combination of a Donald Trump on the stump for Ron DeSantis would be an amazing, amazing thing. You would have the combination of Trump's ability to draw otherwise disinterested voters into the political sphere. And Ron DeSantis, who is, I think, a far more competent and aware politician and well, you know, I'm not going to beat this to death since I already have, but that would have worked. But as I said, unfortunately, I think it's too late. If he withdraws now, it, it would send a strong signal that he is weak and his endorsement would be of uh, minor value at best. Well, I mean, you know, if you if you believe polling, which uh, he is touting, of course, is that he's way in the lead, which is one of the reasons why supposedly he decided not to do the to do the debates and be on the stage with Let's face it, there really there are only several candidates, only a few handful of candidates, which I consider, you know, decent, which was for Ron DeSantis. I think Vivek Ramaswamy so far is proving to be you know, pretty decent. Doug Bugram is actually a nice guy. I don't know too much about him. He seems like he's a normal fellow. And of course, Larry Elder, who the RNC decided to screw over and not allow on base. So that tells you everything you need to know. Everybody else is either a flunky, a stooge, a lipid mass or, or, or some other globalist hack. Who's just along for the ride and along for the grift. So if you would eliminate all of those people, then you'd have a, you'd have a good cadre of, of interesting, seemingly conservative, decent guys that you can, uh, you know, that, that, that would that would pose an interesting uh, uh, platform for the future and, and a, a thing to build around. So, but of course, the RNC is still the RNC, and of course, you know, I mean, again, another Donald Trump puzzler. I don't know why he supported Ronna McDaniel over um, uh, Harmeet Dillon. Uh, as the RNC chair, it just it, and why didn't it, his, it makes no sense. So you're absolutely but, right. Uh, why and why did his son yeah. announce? Oh, you know, we shouldn't be boycotting Disney and you know drink Bud Light. That that's crap. He either has to play this to the hilt or he should give up. And and unfortunately, he's trying to play both sides, and it's not going to work. By the way, you, stop showing off uh, your correct pronunciation of Ramaswamy's name. That really irritates me. I because <laughs> half the time I don't even remember it. So. The other half of the time I mispronounced somebody, somebody on the blog calls him Rama Smarmy. And I'm going, that's not fair at all. I mean, yeah, supposedly he's a, he's a globalist. He's, he's connected to George Soros. I looked into that. His connection to George Soros, there was some sort of weird thing where he was on some sort of, as a young younger person, he was uh, given some sort of money. And even back then, who the hell knew, knew who George Soros was? And now I'm assuming he knows it. But I think a lot of that stuff is overblown. So far, Ramaswamy has thrown out a lot of red meat. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, controversy about him uh, on flip-flopping, especially on his on his statements about funding and the foreign aid to the state of Israel. But when you look at his comments, they kind of make sense. And I see where he's coming from. Do I necessarily agree with it uh, 100%? Not really. But to say that he's anti-Israel or he's flip-flopping on giving aid to Israel, I think that's, a, that's kind of a cheap shot again. 
you're, you're so far we'll right. see. Uh, yeah, his, I think he's injected some. I, I, I think his comments about Israel were quite good. I disagree that uh, yeah. that Israel will, will be self-sufficient in several years, but the idea behind it is powerful, yeah. and that is you continue the the peacekeeping efforts of the United States that in the in the uh, Middle East that unfortunately died the uh, the day that Biden took office, and at that point Israel will be self-sufficient, and that is absolutely a po- a possibility. Uh, uh, listen, everybody knows I'm vehemently pro-Israel, and I am not offended in the least by what he said. You know, what's important is combating Iran, and he gets it, and Biden not only doesn't get it, uh, he's going in the opposite direction. And we're back. A little bit of technical glitches. Bear with us. We will sort this crap out uh, one way or the other. I was just uh, uh, before the break talking about this uh, controversy with this BRICS, uh, B-R-I-C-S uh, alliance of really horrible state actors and other actors who are trying to shift our economy away from the U.S. or shift the global economy away from the U.S. dollar into some other reserve currency, presumably the Chinese yuan. But once we get some sort of sanity restored, in Washington, if we do, please God, uh, then then this is something that will hopefully put uh, everyone back in check, both the Iranians, the Chinese, and uh, and everybody else, notwithstanding. And just have a long a long way to claw back after the disaster of these past. It'll be one more year, and hopefully that that's it. But uh, something has to change. Oh, well, I agree. Until the uh, the Calorama Junta and their puppet uh, Joe Biden are tossed out of Washington, nothing is going to change. Well, but that brings up a point that I made and I've been making really for a long time is that regardless of you know, who wins an election or who, who, who is put into the Oval Office, really the government, as we all know, is run by an unelected and unaccountable bureaucracy. And, you know, you talk about draining a swamp. Uh, what if you know, swamp don't want to be drained and is not going to allow itself to be drained? Too many people making money off of it. Too many people keep it in place and. You know, it's it's been that way for starting really with the, the, the really the Roosevelt administration, or really the IRS. If you want to go back to Wilson and it's been ramped up all the way until today. So that is the fundamental sea change, I think, that has to happen in government before any, you know, really reverse course. I think even if you elect, a, as I said, if you elect the ticket of Jesus Christ and Augusto Pinochet or George S. Patton, uh, you know, they're not going to allow themselves to be have their power denuded. So something. Something radical has to be done to, to, to get rid of that and to, and to really set things right as it was meant to be and decentralize the government and do away with these bureaucracies. So well, I don't know how you. Well, I, I think I, I think that uh, the idea that it's going to be a single president in a single term or two terms to radically reimagine America, I think, is is silly. Uh, this is going to be a multi president fix and they they have to be conservative republicans i have to be conservatives rather not republicans and they have to understand very very well that the existential threat to our way of life is the deep state and that deep state unfortunately uh, encompasses every single federal department and a fair number of state departments of of state functions and 
it's not going to be just Ron DeSantis or just Ronald, uh, Donald Trump. It's going to be DeSantis two terms and then, uh, you know, a, a, another uh, solid republic, uh, solid conservative for another two terms and maybe even two more terms because it's going to be a generation before these people can be, you know, winnowed out of of the deep state. And to destroy the deep straight state requires that a total flip of the federal government. And that cannot happen in four years or eight years. I'm wondering legislatively how you even do that, because the reason that this, as someone, a number of people have written, and, and they've written, I've seen a number of really good articles about this, is that the legislature over the last however many decades, and certainly ramped up in the last 10, 10 to 20 years, has literally ceded their lawmaking power because they don't want to do anything controversial to the bureaucracies. And it's these these edicts and these regulations that have the force of law. And of course, when they they come before the courts, uh, the left, you know, has has rubber stamped and, and puts these, you know, their own flunkies on the bench to, to try to give them give it the uh, good housekeeping seal of approval so that they can never be, you know, they can never be overturned. So. You need a legislature that, that the desire to get its power back, its lawmaking authority back, and somehow has some sort of either an amendment or state that, that states that these these regulations from these departments have no force unless they are given some sort of a imprimatur by by the legislature, two thirds majority or simple majority or however you want to you want to do it. So that's that's the other part of the problem is not just the presidency, but you have to have lawmakers. Who actually want to take their power back? Well, that yeah, that's true. I mean, you're talking about Chevron versus uh, the NRDC, the uh, 198. Yeah. I, I don't remember 1983, 1984, 1985 uh, Supreme Court decision that gave deference to government bureaucrats deciding how laws should be interpreted, how they should be administered. Rather, um, I have to disagree. I don't think that it's going to be a legislative process. I think it's going to be a a strong president telling his various secretaries to number one, stop hiring. Number two, stop paying any money other than salaries and the bare minimum required to maintain the buildings. That's it. No travel, no additional expenditures other than the bare minimum. And that will that, and by the way, that's absolutely under uh, in the purview of the administration. And you do that for eight or 12 or 16 years and, uh, you know, government will no longer be the fun place to work where you get to fuck with people and uh, tell them that a puddle on their on the back 40 is now a, uh, a navigable river and the United States government is going to administer your farm. They simply will not be able to do that kind of stuff. And. As I said, it, it, this is a strong administration doing what needs to be done, and that is, you know, the power of the purse. The you know, Congress can take money away, but the administration doesn't have to spend the money the legislature has given them. Two things. One is, you know, I'm reminded of during during Trump's tenure, the rank insubordination, and I think the, the most shining and horrifying example of that was when he wanted to pull tr- U.S. troops or some sort of military. Uh, advisors or something out of Syria or something like that. And uh, I forgot if it was Mad Dog Mattis or whoever it was saying, yes, sir, we will do that immediately. And they just disobeyed it. 
Yeah. And then you have, you have his knuckleheads, like Bear Claw, Vinman, and so on and so forth. And, and so you multiply that by the however many million people and across however many million departments where you have a President DeSantis or a President Trump or a President Ramaswamy or whoever saying, uh, sorry, sir, uh, we can't do that because uh, screw you, because reasons. And of course, yeah, when they thing, do it, but, it's, but that's, it's cheered but that's on. That's exactly as, the point. Uh, that, that, that is exactly the point. Trump's choice of secretaries was awful. Let's be honest. How many of them were great? None of them. Eh, okay, one or two. And that's where a man like DeSantis or even Ramaswamy, who's, who, who seems to be on the ball with this, this kind of, of, of thing, that's where they would shine because they, they're not looking for yes men who have been loyal. They're looking for people who can execute their directives. And Trump did less of that than he should have. And that's one of the reasons why his presidency was not nearly as successful as it could have been. Didn't he or didn't somebody move or move part of some administration to Kansas, like the Farm Bureau or something? I forgot. Didn't he do that? And there was this whole big shry over that. And was like, How can he do that? We can't move us. Somebody did that or they wanted to do it. And there was something going on. But I, it just brings to mind there's another another thing is theoretically, the these departments, all these bureaucracies are really under the aegis of the executive branch. And in theory, a, a president X, whoever that might be, could say, I hereby of the Environmental Protection Administration. Boom. No, uh, he can't. I wonder he can't if that's do possible that. or is that, is no. that just my he, he cannot do that oh, because that, that t- it took an act damn. of Congress to create it. And the administration cannot just decide that they're not going to listen to Congress. But what they can do is control the purse and they can they can stop spending money. And, and that more than anything else will allow a strong president and strong secretaries to shrink the federal government and to begin the destruction of the deep state. Um, l- let's face it, you know, you, you can play around all you want, but if they're but if they still have the power and if they, they're still doing what they what they have intended all along, which is the the subsuming all the power of the federal government into the regulatory state. Well, the only way to control that is with the people who are actually doing the bad things. The EPA officials who are flying all over the country to, you know, to essentially screw around with every goddamn company in the United States. And, you know, uh, you name it, OSHA and EPA and uh, who else? Um, well, the IRS. The yeah, the IRS. So, okay, sorry, no more travel. Your travel budget is zero. So you drive to work and then you drive home and you're not driving anywhere else and you're not flying anywhere else and you're not spending $1,000 a day on luxury hotels on these, these junkets that, that seemingly everybody in the, regula- in the regulatory state uh, takes whenever they feel like it. And, but that requires a strong secretary. Let's face it, take away their credit cards. End it. No, I'm sorry. You have to use your own money. Well, but it's I'm I'm traveling for work. What? But I'm not giving you permission to travel for work. If you want to go there, you can pay for it on your own. Did you see? And this is this this might be a way to sort of segue or back into the other huge story, which are the Maui wildfire disasters. There was a story about a FEMA executives uh, going on some sort of a junket about white supremacy. Uh, you know, to, oh, no, to learn about white supremacy and well, they're, they're teaching and it. They're um, <laughs> as as the uh, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, as uh, as Hawaii uh, smolders, they are they are talking about white supremacy in FEMA. 
because that's really important. 1,000 people burnt to a crisp. And because of the incompetence of these, these the idiots on the ground there who put freaking roadblocks that people couldn't steer around, who died, who literally were roasted alive in their automobiles, who didn't have, maybe didn't have a horse sense or couldn't get out of the way of these fires that would just, that just consumed them. And they're going on junkets to talk about the, the dangers of, of the evils of, of uh, institutional white supremacy. Man, I got to tell you, there's just not enough lampposts and rope in Washington, D.C. to suit me, I'll tell you that much. Because that's just, that is just beyond the pale. But of course, that's nothing. That's just, that's just you know, a day ending in Y with Washington, D.C. and far too many state houses and city halls across the nation. Yep. on to another topic that's near and dear to my heart, and that is um, Iran and Israel. Uh, Israel has been suffering under a spate of, of uh, murders perpetrated by, murders and attempted murders perpetrated by um, the more chaotic elements of the terrorists living in their midst on the West Bank of, of Israel, uh, of the Jordan River. And um, it's obviously being fomented by Iran. There's no other answer to who's doing this other than Iran is doing this. And the, you know, the idea that the United States is still pursuing this ridiculous uh, agreement with Iran, you know, they want to release many, many billions of dollars that are being held, I think in South Korea because of sanctions. And the, the American proposal is that Iran has to promise that it's going to be used only for humanitarian purposes, which is the most offensive thing I have heard out of the Biden administration in many, many months, because the, the, the idea that money isn't fungible is ridiculous. What are they possibly thinking? Is it going to fool anyone? Well, you know something? Maybe they don't even care. Actually, I know they don't care. All they want is a nuclear armed Iran to be the counterweight against Israel, because they all hate the Jews and they all hate Israel. And they think that a nuclear Iran is just peachy keen. Now, they're nuts because Iran's going to use those weapons and we will have a theater wide nuclear exchange uh, in the Middle East if Iran gets these weapons. You know, it'll probably happen first there before it happens in the Ukraine. That's for sure, despite what the hell is going on there, especially if they're allowed to sort of to, to, to explode a nuke successfully and then somehow miniaturize it and put it on a warhead. This is. This is a major, major red line that, uh, that, that they are going to cross thanks to the, the, the knuckleheads in Foggy Bottom and in Calorama and the Oval Office and whoever the hell else. I think a lot of this, though, is also – I don't think it's accidental. I don't think it's, it's stupidity. They hate Bibi Netanyahu, whatever one thinks about Bibi Netanyahu, because of his – just because of the fact of who he is and, you know, his friendship with Trump and everything else and the Abraham Accords and so on and so forth. They just hate him because he seems to be, relatively speaking to Israel, you know, a conservative guy. And he's out for the he's out to safeguard and, and to ensure the survival of the, and, and the flourishing of Israel. Plus, the fact recently, I think there's been a setback with this um, judicial reform, which he's backing uh, or which has been, which everyone is backing, which is really just giving uh, the the courts in Israel the the power of, of the power to rule the country as opposed to the, the prime minister and the cabinet, the Knesset. Um, somehow that's been delayed, and Bibi has been able to sort of 
forestall the or move forward at least partially his uh, his judicial reform. So they hate him for that. And so it's all of these things added up. CBD, as you say, is just they just hate Israel and they want to see it destroyed. And if they can't do it that way, they'll do it uh, with with the equally insane left wing nuts of the Israeli variety who will uh, slit their own throats uh, uh, con gusto. Listen, I'm I'm no fan of Bibi Netanyahu. I think that uh, he's a political hack. He's long past his sell by date. Um, he needs to retire. But the, the the idea that the United States of, of America is is inserting itself in, into the internal politics of Israel is offensive. Um, it's none of our business. Uh, it's a it's a democracy, uh, and you know they they have this crazy idea of one man one vote in in Israel. Uh, they actually probably have safer elections than we do. Um, and they do have a significant problem with their with their judiciary system. Uh, they're unelected. They have essentially unlimited power. Um, but a- anyway, the, the point is that that that's what Israel wants to do. If Israel wants to to have powerful judges, well, that's up to Israel. Um, but it's none of our business. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's take another short break, and we'll be back for the final segment. Thanks for listening, folks. We all appreciate it. All two of us. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, we were just talking before we got back here, is that... uh, the one thing that's it's interesting that's going on that, that no one's necessarily paying attention to, and we've talked about it before in a previous podcast, is uh, the situation with obviously the, the the Biden crime family and what's going on with them. I mean, the the heat is on them and the spotlight is on them. What what the GOP does does not do, notwithstanding, uh, all of this stuff is being revealed. Whether it's it is as a means of getting rid of Joe Biden to replace him with someone else, or or whether it's Newsom or uh, Gretchen and Wretched Whitmer or who knows who. But the one thing is they can't get rid of him just yet because, number one, RFK Jr., love him, hate him, indifferent, whatever, he is making a splash and making a lot of noise in that in that Democrat field uh, as, a, as a critic of the Biden hunter, not necessarily as a champion of uh, conservatism, of course not. But at least he is, as, as I call him, as we call him, the turd in the punch bowl there. But the thing is, if they get rid of Biden right now, then they have to know that Kamala Harris is going to be named uh, or is going to be sworn in as president. And uh, now what do they do? They don't want her because she she polls disastrously and she's she's naturally a vegetable, whereas Biden actually has dementia. And uh, she's just she's a total locks. Nobody likes her. Nobody wants to vote for her. So they're in a bit of a pickle and it's kind of an interesting situation. Situation to look at. Well, I'm not so sure they're in a pickle. Um, so let's say uh, Biden, you know, he, he stumbles and falls and whacks his head and he has he gets another aneurysm and he's a fucking vegetable. Well, he is a fucking vegetable already, but he's more of a vegetable than than usual. And so they invoke the 25th Amendment and Chlamydia Harris is sworn in as president. OK, so what do we have there? We have no, we have no change whatsoever. Calorama is still going to be running the government. She will be even more chaotic, perhaps, than Biden, uh, probably less crooked because she probably she's probably too stupid to be much of a crook anyway. So why do you think that that's a pickle? They will allow her to be primaried. They uh, and whoever the candidate in 2024 is will win. So, uh, you know, where where is the pickle? 
here's the pickle for me, I think. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, for whatever it's worth. First of all, it has always been my premise, and I, I'm really resigned to the fact that the odds are, if it's not a if it's not a lead pipe cinch right now, the odds are that the 2024 election is definitely going to be stolen in the four swing districts and six states, that six swing states that uh, that went the last time. There's nothing really to stop that, or the three districts CBD that you uh, that you you point out. So be that as it may, we've seen in the past the the machinations of the DNC dumping Bernie Sanders. Uh, for Hillary and then dumping Bernie Sanders again for Biden. Uh, that happened in the last two two uh, national election cycles. So right now, RFK Jr. is out there making waves. People are definitely taking notice of him, uh, at least on, on, on that side of the aisle, and for some strange reason on this side of the aisle. I don't know why, but be that as it may, and I appreciate his talking about uh, you know, the, the vaccine madness and all that with the COVID thing. But I think it's going to rile up. I think the base is going to be riled up. I think you're going to anger them. I don't think they, they give a damn if they rile up the base or not, since they have the, the hardcore knuckleheads are able to you know to do the ballot harvesting and all that kind of stuff. But at the same token, there was an article or there was a, a, a thing yesterday when, when Trump uh, went into to Fulton County to, to get his mug shot. There is a group out there called for Trump. And this one guy said, look, if they could railroad Trump, they could railroad me. So there, I think there's a brewing sense of disaffection, if not necessarily for what the party does uh, policy-wise, then certainly in, in the way that it's, it's, it's doing all these sort of underhanded deals. And, and people are kind of, you know, they're not so sanguine about that anymore. I don't know if that's going to make a difference. I don't know if, if that means anything. Is it an X factor? Who knows what? But it's definitely, at least from their point, maybe it is a... A, uh, an optics thing with the Democrats not to, to move so quickly and uh, to, 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 you know, to let their dirty laundry show, show a little bit too much angle of what they do behind the scenes because nobody really realizes what they're doing. Yeah, so the niggas for Trump, um, I'm, I'm watching the uh, video of this guy talking right now, is it's fantastic, but ultimately it's separate from the, for, from the vote for Donald Trump. I think much of America is on board with the idea that Donald Trump is being railroaded. Much of America is, is on board with the idea that this is a travesty of justice, that this is a pure political persecution. The question is, will they go from that belief to voting for Donald Trump? And I think the answer to that is no, they will not. So regardless of, of, the, of who the Democrats pick, they're will not be an incredible landslide that is impossible to cheat. And that's yeah. why I think we're going to be stuck with um, possibly a Chlamydia Harris win in 2024, but probably not, probably some other, uh, you know, maybe Newsom from California, maybe that, that whore from Michigan, uh, you know, it, it could be any, any probably three, four or five people. Yeah, it's got to be somebody. I think that I I don't know that the Clinton, the, the Clinton faction of the uh, of the Democrats is is wielding that much political juice these days. I think it really is. It's the, the orbit is the Obama. I could be wrong about that. I mean, those are the two factions. It's sort of like you know, Barzini versus the Tat. Yeah. So uh, Sefton's breaking up. What he what his point is interesting, and that is uh, where is the where is the power orbit in Washington? Is it the Clintons? Or is it the Obamas? And he is suggesting that it's probably the Obamas, and I agree 100%. Um, Barack Obama is probably much more effective a president 
from behind the scenes in 2023 than he ever was as a as a neophyte in 2008 2010. You didn't hear me. The landscape has changed insofar as after the COVID lockdowns, the the real freak freak flag uh, is flying of, of the leftists who are now. You know, uh, admitting lawfare, going after people, locking up political prisoners, be it Trump or the J6 protesters or parents protesting uh, school board meetings. No compunction about uh, doing, doing whatever they want to do to, uh, to, to maintain and increase their, their stranglehold. Um, anyway, folks, uh, as I said, technical difficulties. I think we're going to wrap it up right now. Um, the uh, thank you very very much for uh, bearing with us and our crackly voices and our and our crappy uh, our crappy studios. Um, anyway, and until next week, uh, this is uh, CBD. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks the podcast. We apologize for the technical difficulties and we hope to do better in the future. For CBD, it's JJ Sefton. Thanks for listening, thanks for hitting the tip jar, and we will see you again on the next one real soon.